Welcome back to Reasonable Faith with Dr. William Lane Craig. It's Kevin Harris. We're going to pick up right where we left off last time. This amazing testimony from Ian Percy Ali. Let's pick up right where we left off last time. Next, she talks about the anti-Semitism that was fostered in her. Quoting, The Jew had betrayed our prophet. He had occupied the Holy Mosque in Jerusalem. She continues, You can see why, to someone who had been through such a religious schooling, atheism seemed so appealing. Bertrand Russell offered a simple, zero-cost escape from an unbearable life of self-denial and harassment of other people. For him, there was no credible case for the existence of God. Religion, Russell argued, was rooted in fear. Fear is the basis of the whole thing. Fear of the mysterious, fear of defeat, fear of death. As an atheist, I thought I would lose that fear. I also found an entirely new circle of friends as different from the preachers of the Muslim Brotherhood as one could imagine. The more time I spent with them, people such as Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, the more confident I felt that I had made the right choice. For the atheists were clever. They were also a great deal of fun, end of quote. Certainly uh, a lot more fun than the Muslim Brotherhood and their horribly oppressive rules, Bill. Well, I don't know, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> I think the meaninglessness and despair mm. really threaten the new atheist's fun. Uh, once you realize the implications of an atheist worldview, um, mm. I think it's really impossible to live consistently and happily within such a framework. It does tend to put a damper on all the fun, re reflecting on it, as the great atheists have. Uh, she continues, she writes, So what changed? Why do I call myself a Christian now? Part of the answer is global. Western civilization is under threat from three different but related forces. The resurgence of great power authoritarianism and expansionism in the forms of the Chinese Communist Party and Vladimir Putin's Russia. The rise of global Islamism, which threatens to mobilize a vast population against the West. And the viral spread of woke ideology, which is eating into the moral fiber of the next generation, end of quote. So there's her big three, Bill. Yes. China, Russia, Islamism, and woke ideology. Yeah, I'm not sure that people today are sufficiently aware of the second threat, the threat of Islam to the West. Uh, Europe is being slowly Islamicized through declining birth rates and immigration. And I fear what Europe will look like in another 100 to, to 200 years. It's already too late in France, given the declining birth rates in France and the surge of immigration from Muslim countries. Um, France is on its way toward becoming a, a Muslim nation. And frankly, secular societies do not have the spiritual resources to respond to Islam. And so the reaction of the secular government to the threat of Islam is to resort to power in order to suppress religious 
liberties. And so you'll find in these secular societies a repression of um, Islam, but then along with them also the religious liberties uh, of Christians. Uh, and so really the, the best hope for the West in terms of meeting the threat of Islamization, I think, is Christian revival. We need to win as many of these immigrants to Christ as we can and to uh, propagate the gospel um, among our fellow countrymen uh, and try to bring about a Christian revival in the West that will then have the spiritual resources to withstand these threats that she speaks of. Continuing, she writes, quote, we endeavor to fend off these threats with modern secular tools, military, economic, diplomatic, and technological efforts to defeat, bribe, persuade, appease, or surveil. And yet with every round of conflict, we find ourselves losing ground. We are either running out of money with our national debt in the tens of trillions of dollars, or we are losing our lead in the technological race with China. But we can't fight off these formidable forces unless we can answer the question, what is it that unites us? The response that God is dead seems insufficient. So too does the attempt to find solace in the rules-based liberal international order. The only credible answer, I believe, lies in our desire to uphold the legacy of the Judeo-Christian tradition. End of quote. Wow. Several things there, Bill. Uh, but the rules-based liberal international order got my attention. The left decries the oppressive rules of, of Islamism while ignoring that they have their own increasingly oppressive rules. Exactly, Kevin. It, it's a, a great paradox. For example, in these secular liberal societies, there will be uh, efforts to ban the wearing of the hijab because this is uh, indicative of Islamization. But then by the same right, you should also ban the wearing of the crucifix by uh, Catholic Christians. And so in the name of liberalism, the, the secular government begins to deny religious liberties and to, uh, um, to suppress the population. Uh, this is really interesting in China, Kevin. When we were in China prior to Xi Jinping's uh, clampdown and reversion to the old communist order, Chinese intellectuals at the university were realizing the futility of uh, Marxism and atheism. Uh, they told us that Marxism has proved unable to provide a sound uh, societal fabric for contemporary Chinese societies. Confucianism is dead uh, and no longer able to do so as well. And therefore, these intellectuals were increasingly turning to Christianity. And they noted that Christianity is not an imposition from the West. It is, in fact, an indigenous Chinese religion that goes back to the first few centuries after Christ uh, through the Church of the East as the gospel was carried into China. And so Chinese intellectuals, when we were there, were saying exactly the same thing that Ion is saying, uh, that, that Christianity will provide a sound social fabric for maintaining 
the kind of society that allows for uh, freedom and and religious liberty. But without it, it's hard to see how this can happen. You may recall in Reasonable Faith, I quote from uh, Professor Loyal Rue in a remarkable address to the American Academy for the Advancement of Science, where he says the lesson of the last 200 years has been that uh, moral relativism is profoundly the case. Um, And he said there are only two options to solving this problem that he could see. One was what he called the madhouse option, where everyone just pursues his own individual personal values at the expense of social cohesion. On the other hand, there was the totalitarian option where moral and social values are imposed by the government to maintain social cohesion at the expense of personal liberty. And Rue said that if we're to avoid either the madhouse option or the totalitarian option, he said we need to adopt some noble lie, some fiction that will trick us into freely uh, sacrificing self-interest in the interests of social cohesion uh, voluntarily. Uh, And so this was the option that the secularist had to offer, was was just a noble lie to live in self-deception. Otherwise, you degenerate into these kinds of uh, unacceptable options that that uh, Ion is is talking about. What she's saying is that there's a different option, namely Christian theism, that could provide an objective foundation for a a free society that is cohesive. Next, she makes a strong point. She says how easy it was for Russell to stand before an audience and critique Christianity. Then she writes, could a Muslim philosopher stand before any audience in a Muslim country, then or now, and deliver a lecture with the title, Why I Am Not a Muslim? In fact, a book with that title exists, written by an ex-Muslim, but the author published it in America under the pseudonym Ibn Warwick, and it would have been too dangerous to do otherwise. To me, this freedom of conscience and speech is perhaps the greatest benefit of Western civilization. It does not come naturally to man. It is the product of centuries of debate within Jewish and Christian communities. It was these debates that advanced science and reason, diminished cruelty, suppressed superstitions, and built institutions to order and protect life while guaranteeing freedom to as many people people as possible. Unlike Islam, Christianity outgrew its dogmatic stage. It became increasingly clear that Christ's teachings implied not only a circumscribed role for religion as something separate from politics, it also implied compassion for the sinner and humility for the believer. End of quote. Bill, anyone who wants to get rid of or diminish Western civilization should think twice. Really, that's true, Kevin. But I think honesty compels us to say that these freedoms that she speaks of are as much due to the Enlightenment as they are to Christianity. Uh, Prior to the Enlightenment, Roman Catholicism could be extremely 
uh, repressive. As, as you know, heretics were burnt at the stake on, on occasion. The Protestant reformers were somewhat better in allowing for freedom of conscious and, and not having state coercion. But still, even in uh, the, the Reformation, that union of church and state could be very oppressive. Uh, the great philosopher Alvin Plantinga once remarked to me that the separation of church and state, or as she puts it, politics and religion, was the one good idea that the Enlightenment had. Uh, and I think that this is good not only for uh, the state, but it's also good for the church. Um, when we were recently in Ireland on a speaking tour, uh, we saw this vividly displayed. In Ireland, the Catholic Church had been so closely aligned with the state and with the educational apparatus there that uh, it was very oppressive to not only Protestants, but also to atheists. And there was tremendous backlash against the Catholic Church in Ireland, uh, a backlash that continues today as more and more Irish people desert the Catholic Church for um, secularism. And so I think for the, that the health of the church itself, this separation of politics and religion is something that must be preserved. Here's what she writes next. Yet I would not be truthful if I attributed my embrace of Christianity solely to the realization that atheism is too weak and divisive a doctrine to fortify us against our menacing foes. I've also turned to Christianity because I ultimately found life without any spiritual solace unendurable, indeed very nearly self-destructive. Mm. Atheism failed to answer a simple question, what is the meaning and purpose of life? End of quote. Uh, Bill, I hope she has an opportunity to read your work on this if she hasn't. And, in fact, she could benefit a lot from reasonable faith in her yeah, well, Thank you. Um, I think that here we have existential questions concerning uh, meaning, value, purpose in life that are right at the heart of the, the Christian faith. This now is not adopting Christianity for political reasons. Up to this point, everything she said has been about um, the need for the Christian worldview because of its power in the political contest for preserving uh, civilization and freedom. But now she's talking about very personal existential questions. Um, and I, I am convinced that uh, this does give very good grounds for um, believing in God, because only if God exists can there be uh, objective, ultimate meaning, value, and purpose in human life. Let's look at the remaining few paragraphs in this essay. She writes, quote, Russell and other activist atheists believe that with the rejection of God, we would enter an age of reason and intelligent humanism. But the God hole that the void left by the retreat of the church has merely been filled by a jumble of irrational, quasi-religious dogma. The result is a world where modern cults prey on the dislocated masses, offering them spurious reasons for being and action, mostly by engaging in virtue-signaling theater 
on behalf of a victimized minority or our supposedly doomed planet. The line often attributed to G.K. Chesterton has turned into a prophecy. When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. End of quote there. But Bill, she looked into the vacuum and does not like what she sees. Yes, I think when she talks about virtue signaling theater on behalf of a victimized minority or our supposedly doomed planet, she's probably expressing skepticism about uh, climate change and other programs in social justice that are uh, championed by the left. And without wanting to make any pronouncement on the scientific merits of uh, climate change, I think what we can say is that when these movements become quasi-religious, as they sometimes seem to do, uh, then indeed they are uh, guilty of what Chesterton says, that people have turned away from believing in God, uh, and now they become capable of just believing in, in anything, and they uh, make climate change or, or social justice into uh, a sort of quasi-religious um, movement. And, and I think that that is quite misplaced. She continues, In this nihilistic vacuum, the challenge before us becomes civilizational. We can't withstand China, Russia, and Iran if we can't explain to our populations why it matters that we do. We can't fight woke ideology if we can't defend the civilization that it is determined to destroy. End of quote. Bill, it's one of my main concerns. Uh, this woke ideology and the left in general probably thinks that by destroying our foundations, we'll have more freedom. And actually, uh, the opposite is true. Yet it also looks to me like woke people don't care if an oppressive regime were to take us over because they, they thrive on victimhood, as she said, and, and oppression. And it would give them a chance to be morally outraged that our freedoms have been taken away <laughs> and virtue signal from the prison camps. Ian says that uh, we need to convince the population that they're messing in their own nest, basically. Yeah. I, I suppose, Kevin, that a great many people really do hate the West and hate the United States uh, and want to see the demise of the West. Uh, and so I suspect that there's a lot of truth in what you're saying, that, that they really do want to bring down uh, this system. Uh, and so this is a, a real fight for um, the preservation of our society. Here's how she concludes the essay, quote, and we can't counter Islamism with purely secular tools. To win the hearts and minds of Muslims here in the West, we have to offer them something more than videos on TikTok. The lesson I learned from my years with the Muslim Brotherhood was the power of a unifying story embedded in the foundational text of Islam to attract, engage, and mobilize the Muslim masses. Unless we offer something as meaningful, I fear the erosion of our civilization will continue. And fortunately, there is no need to look for some new age concoction of medication and mindfulness. Christianity has it all. That is why I no longer consider myself a Muslim apostate. 
but a lapsed atheist. Of course, I still have a great deal to learn about Christianity. I discover a little more at church each Sunday. But I have recognized in my own long journey through a wilderness of fear and self-doubt that there is a better way to manage the challenges of existence than either Islam or unbelief had to offer, end of quote. Comment on that, Bill, and then we'll look at a brief clip from Michael Shermer. Yeah, well, isn't that wonderful? I, I'm so encouraged that Sunday by Sunday, as she attends church, she's learning more about her newfound faith. And so I wish her all the best uh, in this spiritual journey and that she'll continue to grow in her relationship with Christ. And real quick here, uh, there have been multiple responses to this essay online. Uh, here's a clip from atheist Michael Shermer. Check this out. Nothing Ian has written in her essay changes my evaluation of her as a heroic figure. I simply think she's mistaken. We all are about a great many things, and maybe I'm wrong here and she's right. But I think reason and history prove otherwise. Let me explain. In the spirit of respect for what is on the line here, starting with the subtitle, of IN's essay, Atheism Can't Equip Us for Civilizational War. She's right, but not in the way she thinks. Atheism, per se, can't equip anyone for anything because it's not a belief system or a worldview. Atheism just designates a lack of belief in God. Full stop. It is a purely negative statement, an indicator that someone does not believe. A lack of belief can never be the basis of a belief system. I'm an atheist in the same sense that I'm an a-supernaturalist or an a-paranormalist. There's no such thing as the supernatural or the paranormal. These descriptors are just linguistic placeholders for mysteries we have yet to explain. Once explained, they move into the realm of the natural and the normal. Well, I don't think Shermer's been listening to our podcast, Bill. You've <laughs> talked about the definition of atheism many times, and you, you yeah. can address that. But also, isn't she talking about the philosophical and cultural ramifications of secularism and atheism? Yes, I think that uh, Shermer's response is faulty on several levels. First of all, there's this tired old misdefinition of atheism as simply an absence of God belief. Uh, that is to confuse atheism with non-theism. And uh, non-theism can be either atheism, that there is no God, or agnosticism, there may or may not be a God, or acognitivism, that the question of God's existence is meaningless. Uh, and so he's, he's simply misdefining the term. Now, what's really funny, though, about this, Kevin, and I don't know if you noticed this, did you notice that after he says, I'm an atheist in the same sense that I'm an a-supernaturalist and an a-paranormalist, he says in the next sentence, there's no such thing as the supernatural. There's no such thing as the paranormal. Well, the parallel statement to that would be there is no such thing as God. And that is traditional atheism. That's not just the absence of God belief. He is affirming the traditional atheistic view there is no such thing as God. In any case, in talking with someone like 
Ian, he has to use her definition of atheism if he's to engage with her point. She's talking about atheism as the belief that God does not exist and saying that that worldview does not have the substance to uh, preserve Western society and the civilizational structure uh, struggle, nor to provide uh, meaning and purpose in life. And so if he's going to engage her point, rather than just talk past her, he has to use her definition of the term. Finally, the, the, the irony of this whole clip is that he admits that atheism, as he defines it, cannot supply the resources needed in the civilizational conflict. He says uh, atheism, since it's not a view, can't do anything. So really he concedes her point on, on his own definition of atheism. It cannot supply the resources needed in the civilizational conflict. So I found his response to her article to be just multiply flawed. <laughs> 